up, everyone? Welcome to a special episode of High and Wide Radio. This is your host, Angry Jim, joined as always by Jack and Kyle. And tonight, our guest is former flyer Riley Cote. Riley, happy belated Father's Day. How you doing, man? Thanks. I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. It's it's our pleasure. It's an honor to have you on. Uh, I know you know a couple of us grew up watching you play for the Flyers. Um, you know, we got some questions to ask you. I'll let Kyle kick us off. Uh, go ahead, Kyle. What's up, Brian? Hey, man, I watched you for years with the Phantoms. It's a privilege to get a chance to interview you. Oh, cool. Go away, hey, man. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> in, uh, in 2004, you, you were a walk-on for the Phantoms. Uh, can you take us through the wild experience that it must have been to go from being a walk-on to winning the Calder Cup? Yeah, sure. It was, uh, it was actually quite the experience. I started the year off in, uh, in Memphis in the Central Hockey League, and I was there four days, and that was the lockout year, the second-last lockout. I started off the season there, it was four days, and then I got a phone call from, uh, from Hexie, actually. He was assistant uh, GM to Paul Holmgren for the Phantoms, and, and uh, signed me to a 25-game tryout, met the team in Hartford, and well, I guess the, the long, the, the, the short version is that I, I stuck around for those 25 games and landed up signing uh, three more PTOs, 25 game professional trial agreements, and, and landed up, uh, you know, winning a Calder Cup and leading the team in penalty minutes and, and fights and the whole bit. And uh, it's just uh, one of those things that just worked out. <laughs> you know, I, I must have done something right to stay in the lineup, um, you know, especially when there was uh, a ton of. NHL was flooding the American Hockey League that year from the lockout, and um, you know I was just horny, man. I was just uh, fought everyone and their brother, and uh, you know Philly obviously likes that. We had a few other tough guys in the team, but you know with with injuries and you know how the way the game works, uh, you know guys don't perform injuries, and you get you get your opportunity. And um, I, guess, I guess you know the the scouting report from from my understanding here, you know talking to John Stevens was I'm just consistent. He knew what he was going to get out of me, so he felt com- you know comfortable playing me um so yeah it was an awesome year you know it was just uh, an amazing group of guys you know a lot of these guys had never played an nhl game uh before this this year and then you know they all became uh i want to say all a bunch of them became you know full-time nhlers you know so uh awesome experience for sure that's awesome dude hey so the year after you won the cup they named you an assistant captain which is pretty wild now that i know that you were uh assigned a tryout after tryout after tryout can you walk me through the process of becoming a captain like how did that come about and did you feel like it was a good fit for you uh you know what i think it just just comes out of leadership you know what i mean i think uh you know you see some guys you know say at the nhl level that wear a captain at the age of 20 and um it's very rare you know but i mean i was wearing this i was wearing an a uh, but I think it's just, you know, like it, it, it is bleeding by example, you know, it's just, uh, you know, for me, it was always about being the first guy there, the hardest worker, um, you know, never, never, never show weakness type of, you know, like, ne- you know, never turn down a fight when, you know, when it's exposed. And um, um, so, um, for, you know, f- for me, I, I mean, I lost my train of thought there, but, uh, um, it, you know, it was... Yeah. Hey, refresh me on what we're talking about there. I lost my train of thought on my, on my back. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I was just asking, like, how does that come about? Like, were you asked? Oh, yeah. It just kind of, like, 
it, there's no real true process, but but just kind of you know be, being a leader, and then the organization recognizes it, and, and you know and kind of rewards you for it. You know, again, I was just a, just a hard worker, and I think that um, you know John Stevens, Paul Homer, and these guys saw how much I poured into it, and you know you know it's it's, it's a it's a, it's a hard, pretty hard nosed sport. So when you see guys you know grinding and giving and you know playing through and training through you know you know adversity, I think you know there's, you know. You, you want it, you, you want to make it known that those guys are leaders, you know. So there's a lot of leaders that don't even get you know get letters, you know. It's just you know just kind of the way it is. Um, I think you know it probably probably somewhat stemmed from the, the year before, just the kind of the Cinderella story of like you know like you said like being a walk on when the team was already made and um, and sticking around and winning a Calder Cup. So you know what I mean. I think there there was a lot of character shown there that you know pro- I would say probably earned it. So. That's awesome, man. Hey, I got, so I got a couple more questions for you, just uh, to get to the nitty gritty and some of my curious, my curious mind work in here. Who would you say the worst agitator you had to deal with at the AHL level was? <laughs> at the AHL level, um, jeez, you know what? I, I don't really rem- remember there being that guy in the A because I think there was it was still a jungle back when I played in the A where there was like you know four heavyweights on each team and like I, I feel like that, right. that that rat role didn't really I should, shouldn't say didn't really come around until the, the enforcer was kind of dying off but I think he became more noticeable um, because oh, he was you know what I mean because he was so was so protected by by whatever leftover tough guy they had, you know what I mean. There was like down to one guy, a, a team. Like I, got, I remember, like a guy like a Sean Avery. Like I understand he did fight, um, he, he did stick up for himself now and then. But I mean, I, I always think like a true tough guy doesn't pick, you know, doesn't d- doesn't pick his spots like that just to just to know you're gonna win a fight. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes you gotta man up because you because you just did the wrong thing and you take a beating. You know what I mean? And I think that's like you know like. There's a lot of guys that I think that have come around, um, you know, after the instigator rules implemented, and uh, when, when there was more protection by the by the refs, and not so much self policing, is that where these guys just kind of like started running, you know, not that they didn't run their mouths before, but you know, a, a guy like Marchand, Brad Marchand, for example, like he he would he wouldn't be he wouldn't have been able to do any of this stuff, you know, 15, 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Like licking people. <laughs> and uh, you know, some of the other stupid stuff he does, you know what I mean? Like he would have had a stick shoved down his throat, like no joke. Like he would have had a crush, a crush like right in the mouth. Like that would never happen. And that's just because, like, bro, now in the game, there, there really is absolutely no true enforcer. You know, when I played, it was evolved from like you know two or three, four guys to to maybe one guy, and to the point where it was like my last year with the Flyers, 2010. I was like, wow, like there's a lot of teams not even carrying any tough guy. And I was, you know, so like that's what you know. I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall, but it just gives room for these other guys to kind of, kind of thrive, you know. And um, Patrick Coletta was a guy kind of chased around, not really in the minors, but in, when he's in Buffalo, you know, he'd hide a little bit behind, you know, Peters. But I feel like in, in the A, if he did that, you, you know, it's, it, it's it, there's less, there's less pressure from organizations when you take stupid penalties. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, so you guys, guys would, would go. And uh, you know, take take control of the situation. Basically, so just you just don't see it much in the minors. But um, there's definitely a few rats still kicking. And I don't understand how someone hasn't, you know, absolutely rocked 
uh, Marchant yet because it's just like at what point you draw a line in the sand and what you, you know what, what you can get away with and what, what is like just like not hockey anymore you know oh, absolutely and, the, and he's protected though I mean with all it's the protected, rules yeah. it's, you can't it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a false protection you, you know it's just kind of it's gone from like self-policing and like manning up being accountable which I think we need more of in this world and, and versus just like hiding behind laws or rules and, and, and just going on, on special teams. And you know what I mean? I think there's just like this, uh, to me, it's just hard to watch now where it's just like, there's just like, there's just, it's missing that ingredient that like kind of is what makes hockey different than other sports, you know, that, that accountability and that, you know, and there's the, not that it has to be going out and just squaring up and fighting, but like, you know, somewhere in the middle of, you know, Broad Street Bullies and, and what we have today. So there's got to be a happy meeting where you can still have that variable that is very impactful, you know, and, and, and it's not, not it's not disgracing the game. Like, when I see some of the stuff, it's like embarrassment stuff, you know. It's it, it's just like you, you, you never dove and, and cried and whined and laid there and, and, and did all that stuff back in the day. You know what I mean? You, you, you certainly wouldn't lick someone's face again. You know, some of this stuff is just like, that would never happen because there's, there was so much accountability. You know? Like, Absolutely. Like, I have to really never got touched. It's because it's that powerful. Accountability is that powerful. You know? When you can keep a guy from hardly even getting body checked. Because you're, you know, your, your team's so tough and the guys you're dealing with want to, you know, are absolute, are absolute terrors to deal with. So, um, there's got to be a happy medium, in my opinion. So why do you think that changed so much from when you played in the AHL to up to the NHL, and then obviously you were around as it started dying out? So why do you think that changed? Well, I think there's a lot of liability with concussions and everything, and they want to you know, um, you know point to the simplest thing they can, which is, you know, Anybody can argue. Well, getting punched in the face isn't good for the brain, and um, you know I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I mean, it's clearly not good for the brain. Um, but when only you know four uh, percent of concussions are actually from fights, that means there's ninety six percent of concussions that are coming from somewhere else in the game. Um, so it's an easy it's an easy way out. So there's a liability issue, and the media just kind of blows things up, and it's it. Uh, you know, this younger generation, I say, doesn't really understand the true culture of the game. I understand. It. I'm, all, I'm all for more skill. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I love the skill, but I, but it's missing that it, it's missing that gem where it's like it's just like it, it, to me it's just it's just, just again it's just missing that that root ingredient that you know hockey was just just so different than other sports you know and um, it's it, it's gone overly skilled. But now we're just you know there's a bunch of you know uh, unaccountable, um, entitled prima donna. You know, it's behind the rules, uh, you know, type of hockey players, and it's just it's getting worse. I mean, you know, you know when I coached, uh, I coached, you know, the Phantoms a couple of years ago. I got um, you know, some of these younger guys are just so entitled. They've never had true adversity. They've had their they're the muffins because they 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 get this long Now, like, oh, I'm just gonna sue you. It's it's a lawsuit. It's you know, it's like it's. It, it, it goes right to that we just it's just you know it's just easy to fall fall into hiding behind the rules and um i think the media is a big problem you know a big problem with it because you know you, you get someone that's not very well versed on this topic 
I mean, if you ask any former skill guys, any, and probably even um, some current ones that maybe even played like you know five to ten years ago, some you know some veteran guys, you know how how impactful having a tough guy on the team or on the ice and on the bench is for the room they're creating and 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 the energy and just like the confidence of the players, you know, going into a harder barn or you know playing against a tougher team. It's, it's actually amazing, you know what I mean? And, and most people don't recognize that. So I think there's, there's less uh, respect in the game today is because there's no accountability. Guys are bigger, faster, stronger than they, they've ever been. You can't even get in the way anymore and hold anybody up. It's a penalty. You know, hold anybody up is a penalty. And, and you know, you can't, you can't protect your defenseman. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's gotta be a way to, again, when you know, some of the stupid stuff happens to, to, to be able to, to again, somewhat bring in the self-policing. You know what I mean? You know, emotional fights are great, but we don't want to be, you know, having our superstar breaking their hand on an, emo- on an emotional fight. You know what I mean? Where it's like that could be the difference of making the playoffs and, and, and winning a championship. So, like, you know, that's why there's guys like, you know, say, well, hopefully they're more skilled than I was, but, you know, guys like I would just be like, I'm basically sacrificing my body, you know, to create energy, to protect, to be a team guy, you know what I mean? Like, who the hell wants to get punched in the face? Who, you know, who, who wants to, who wants to be fighting guys six foot five on a, on a regular basis that are two hundred fifty pounds? Like, it, trust me, it's not that fun. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, things, so it's like, uh, you know, so, it's, so again, it's kind of like, um, it, it, it just, it's just one of those roles that, that is respected, but it, it, it it's, it's more. It's it's more energy that you can't quantify that it creates, um, you know, and, and most people just can't understand that dynamic of it. You know what I mean? How how, how powerful um, accountability is when you, you know when there's another guy on the team. It's like, well, if you touch that guy, he's gonna come after you and he's gonna punch you in the face. You know what I mean? It's right. like, okay, well, maybe I won't do that then tonight. Like, I know for you know you know from my own experience that you know going into a game where I'm saying playing Washington when when Brashear was there and you know I'm expecting to fight Brash. And then, uh, you know, practice and playing for whatever reason. I get, I kind of get a heads up before the game. I'm like, holy shit. Like, it's like a monkey off my back. I'm like, I'm going to run around like the biggest retard tonight because now I don't have to answer to this fucking guy. You know? So, you know, so it's, it, that's the mindset. You know what I mean? Because when there's no accountability, it's like, who else, anybody else that, that would that have came and challenged me, you know, I would have cleaned up. So I was feeling like rock solid confidence. But like, oh, that's the difference, man. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a real thing. You know, and uh, um, you know, the broad bullies proved it. You know, it may be to an extreme, but all the other teams caught up. You know, they got tough guys too. And then eventually it was like everyone had tough guys. And it was just like the way hockey was played, you know, and um, um, you know, but you know, I understand. No, no bench clip. I mean, there's, there's got to be a line that you're breaking up. Do you got to right. harness your emotions to some Break it up. You're yeah, failing well, the game, in my opinion, when you, when, you, when you remove an ingredient like that. So I'm with you. So that brings me to my next question absolutely perfectly. So you say, you know, you can't stand the little rat. That's that, like a Marshawn. Did you ever have a guy on your own team 
that you didn't really want to stick up for because he was a little rat, but you had to because he was on your team? <laughs> no, you know what? I never had that guy, but I, I know a lot of guys that had that guy. Um, I was lucky. I mean, I, I, was really, I was really lucky, you know. I mean, uh, we had some really good teammates. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a few guys along the way that you, you know, you're not necessarily like best buddies with, but like, uh, um, you know, for, for the for the most part, uh, I've been pretty lucky like that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, there, there's certainly. I mean, speaking with you know some of some of my buddies from other teams, and you know, on certain certain guys like. You know, there's some horror stories there where it's just like, and even coaches too, like guys not wanting, not wanting to fight for their coach because you know it's just like there's there's, there's, a, there's a loss of respect and there's there's a loss of respect. It's like hard to, it's hard to put your body and your head and everything on the line, you know, for someone you don't respect, or it's probably because they're showing disrespect to you, and I, you know, that, and that's Absolutely. a problem in that role. All right, I got one more question for you before I hand you off. So about a year ago, you posted a status on June 4th of last year. You said that I, uh, I understand myself only after I destroyed myself. And only in the process of healing myself did I realize who I really was. So I got one question, and I, I even posted on that exact thing my same question. I never got a reply, so I'm going to ask now. So would you trade all of the bruises all of the punches and the struggle, would you trade the life experience to go back to find out who you were sooner? No, absolutely not. No, it was, it's, uh, it's exactly the way it was supposed to be. I think, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the lesson that I've learned and that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find ways to, to communicate is that like everyone grows um, and it's really a lot of times through hardship and suffering that people find their way or, you know, kind of discover truths and who they are. So, um, you know, that, this is just my version. And I was just being honest, you know, in that post about, I guess, about my uh, my awakening and, you know, and, and, you know, and everyone thinks playing in the NHL and, you know, like I played 156 games. I mean, I was a slugger. I won an NHL goal. Like, um, you know, everyone thinks it's like, it's just hunky dory, you know. Everything is great, and you know, you know, it's, it's an easy life. And, and it's like the reality is, there's only a handful of guys that that are in that elite category. And there's a lot of journeymen. There's a lot of guys like grinding it, and you know what I mean. And real life shit, and you know, you know, try, you know trying to try, trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? When you talk about substance and managing pain, and um, you know, you know, fighting and in that whole world and partying and you know, the substance abuse stuff is is, is very real. And um, um, you know, until you get out of that world where your you know your environment is toxic and destructive, and you, you find another path, you, you you don't realize how far off you were. You know, you're supposed to be living a dream. So you know, it's right. pretty it's pretty deep post, and I mean, uh, I, I I feel like. Um, it's relative to to all people because I mean there, there's a lot of hardship I, I feel in this world and a lot of suffering probably a lot of um, you know su- self-induced suffering which I've learned that I've did for years and years and years um, without knowing it well, I mean knowing it but not being aware of it you know what I mean uh, you know it was unconscious you could say I wasn't aware how bad I was treating my body my mind until um, you know, until you really start noticing the effects on on the physical body and the brain. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have been breaking down at the age of 28. 
you know what I mean? I, I know I was going hard. I was going hard on the ice, but I was going pretty hard off the ice, you know? And it's like, um, it's all about recovery, you know what I mean? And you're drinking and partying, you know, dehydrating the cells and the body and the brain, you know, and, uh, performance drops, just like everything, you know? And uh, uh, so, you know, in a sense, you know, I destroyed myself in that in that manner. And I just felt, uh, you know, when, when, you, when you recognize the problem and, you, and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're ready to be a part of the solution and you pour everything into it it's you know it's pretty powerful so um uh, you know that's what that's what that was all about so i would never change it for the world to answer your question no i mean that's it if it sums me up in a nutshell just kind of like i'm just one of those guys that's like i'll learn the hard way and figure it out you know what i mean the hard way and i find myself in, in a better positive way on, on the business side of things um the more conscious side of things in the world i'm in now it's like um, I, I didn't know, how, you know, how to be a hockey fighter. I just like learned to become one. You know what I mean? It's like, I, you know, I, you know, I got out of uh, hockey. I got into some coaching, but you know, I, I always felt like yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. I feel like I need to like do my own thing and be my own boss and do, you know, and um, didn't know anything about business. And it's like you just just kind of feel the same way. It's like learning, learning from your know, mistakes and, and, and growing. And it's like, uh, but now, but now in a very positive, more structured manner failing versus like you know in an unconscious manner i was just again just like eating calories to gain weight and you know fight you know just not being intelligent with some of my 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 my, my you know my fights and um you know just being a meathead and you know tr- lifting heavy weights instead of being more functional so um but like, saying, I'm a, it's like a robot but in saying all that it's just um it, it, it's just it just it just it needed to happen that way for me to be so passionate about this on the other side Right, absolutely. I agree. I'm gonna I'm gonna hand you off to Jack now. I'm sure he's got some questions he would like answer as well. Uh, thank Ronnie, you very much, Ronnie. Thanks again for being on. I really appreciate all your years of service with the Phantoms and the Flyers. Uh, my favorite memory of you came right to mind when we heard you were going to be on the podcast, and that was a a fight you had against Tampa Bay against Andre Roy. I just I think you may you guys may have fought twice, but the second time you really got under his skin. Not only did you drop him, but I remember him being on the bench and he could just not shut up to the point where the coach had to get involved. It was hysterical to watch, and you were very calm, cool, and collected. You did your job and you did it perfectly. And uh, as you were saying with guys who run around the league now, like Brad Marchand, uh, I think that guys like you helped keep the integrity of the game in check, and that's something that's a little bit lost now. And uh, I do miss it, and I appreciate what you did um so with that i do have a few questions for you um having been a walk-on with the phantoms in itself and having those multiple 25 game tryouts describe to us and maybe walk us through what it was like to actually get called up to the nhl who told you how did it happen what was going through your head just bring us down that if you could sure yeah i mean it was uh well, I'm going to start a season before that. So actually, the year before I played my first regular season NHL game, I actually landed up making the team out of training camp when Ken Hitchcock was there. I think I played like three or four preseason games. And I was on the opening day roster. We started off on the road out west in Vancouver or wherever else, and it was a three-game road trip. I didn't play any of those games. We come back to Philly and they sent me down to the Phantoms. I landed up breaking my ankle that next game down. I slid in the boards and like just smashed it up. So I was out for like half the year. 
Um, so then I spent the other, you know, quarter of the half, you know, the other quarter of the year, you know, getting back um, into skating shape because I was off for so long. So I, I um, you know, I played, I think, I don't even know, 15 games or so. And then uh, I don't know if you guys remember when Todd Fedoric got uh, got dropped by Colton Orr when he was in New York there. Um, <laughs> I remember. Fridgy, yeah, for you guys remember, yeah. So Fridgy was with the Flyers, gets dropped, and, um, you know, it was the last, I think it was the last eight games of the season or something like that. Flyers weren't in playoffs. So I, I kind of just knew it was coming. I was back I was back in a really good shape. I'd fought a few times in the, in the Phantoms and, and, and had some good fights. And uh, I just knew that, like, you know, Homer, Homer was the GM and that um, that it was coming. So I think I, I want to say it was the next day. The next day, I was just, you know, in the, in, on the Phantom side uh, at the, the skate zone in Voorhees there. And uh, Homer walks through like he normally did. And I kind of saw him on a regular basis in the morning, you know, walking through. And he just said, uh, he says, uh, he says, come see me. So then I was like, all right. And then, yeah, so I go to his office. He's like, uh, yeah, we're going to call you up for the remaining eight games. Let you do, uh, you know, do it, do it, do it, do your thing here, man. Just do it. And um, so I was like, right on. So there was really not a whole lot of pressure besides, you know, obviously, be my first age okay but they're you know they're they weren't in a playoff spot and it's kind of like do your thing and get after it so um but you know obviously the emotions were crazy into the roof and you know the leading up to the game and my first shift i think i stepped over the stepped over the boards and had like seven hard strides and absolutely killed <laughs> a guy from kerala from uh, from the islanders <laughs> yes it was it was pretty it was pretty good but yeah just so much so much built up emotion as you can imagine from just you know years of believing and, and dreaming and you know working so well that must have been something else to make it all that way from a walk-on to skating your first shift in the nhl but i have to ask how well do you remember your first fight uh, I remember my first fight in the NHL. I mean, in the NHL, I, I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely remember it with, uh, with Cam Jansen. So um, it was the only fight I could get the last eight games. It was like we, you know, since we're out of the playoffs and you know you're challenging guys, like they, they don't want to fight if there's really no reason to, right? I mean, it's like a young guy in the minors that's horny, and and they're just, they're just trying to get to the playoffs without an injury. So um, I only got Cam Jansen in New Jersey. I'd fought him, I think, four or five times in the minors. So we had, you know, we, we matched up well against each other. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say it was one of my greatest fights. It was, uh, it was like an average fight all around. Um, but you know, going into the next year, I think I remember that more clearly. It was at home against Chris Simon. Um, a couple lefties. It wasn't anything major, but it was. Uh, I, I remember most of my fights, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's like it's weird. I, uh, out of all the things I remember, it's like I could I, I could remember you know some some interesting details in, in a lot of fights where I can't remember like meeting certain people and you know that just like it's weird weird what you remember sometimes I guess but yeah was there anybody that you would like know you had to fight you described this just before uh, but was there any particular players that you were you couldn't wait to get your hands on or other ones that you were a little nervous about maybe because of reputation or they were just crazy anybody come to mind 
Well, I think there's no easy fight, you know, and, and the way I was wired was like, I, I expected to fight every night. I mean, I was like, the way I'm, the way I'm wired is that when I, when I do something and sign up for something, I'm kind of like all in. So like when I, when I decided I was going to be a fighter in hockey, I was like, it, it, cons- it consumed me almost like role playing, right? It was like playing a part. So I almost like stopped worrying about playing hockey and just worried so much about fighting where I went every game, like, you know what I mean? Like I'm absolutely fighting. And, and who's it going to be? It's going to be A, B, or C here, and and, and you know what I mean. And uh, I'm not sure how it's going to how it's going to pan out, but like some sometimes in your mind you're like, oh yeah, I'd rather take B or C. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you know fighting the A dog every night is like gets old, but you know I lined up fighting that guy most of the time. But so it's kind of like when when you're when you're when you're emotionally invested like that, and you know you're going to fight, it's just kind of like. There's just so much emotion going into it. They just you just don't care. You just like you just want you just want to like get it over. You know, get it over with and fight. Like I love getting a fight out of out of the way right off the bat because it was just kind of like set the tone. For me, I felt like I could get in the game and like play a little bit. You know what I mean? And um, but you know, it's not didn't always work that way. You know what I mean? It was uh, you know sometimes it didn't happen the first, second, third. Sometimes it happened the first period, not the second period. You know, generally the third period, something major has to happen for a fight that really happened, you know? So it's kind of like, there's always this chronic state of anxiety. Um, so, but but to answer your question, um, um, yeah, would I have liked to have killed some yeah, some rats and some other guys that I just really didn't want, that I really just wanted to actually beat up? Um, absolutely. But, I mean, I, I could never get to those guys. I mean, you know, the Sean Averys and, every, you know, the Colettas. I would never be able to get to, to Marshawn, you know, it's, um, you know, there's always going to be a guy that steps in. So, but, you know, I, I knew going into some fights where there was probably going to be a better open, you know, exciting fight where a guy more, more my size, like Sean Thornton or Aaron Asham or I mean, Cam Jansen, some of these, you know, like, you know, call them light heavyweights or, you know, middleweights even, you know, for that matter. Um, you know, it's going to be more open, you know, versus like, and we're fighting George the Rock or Don Bashir, and I'm like, I'm six one. I mean, right now I'm 190 pounds, but I was playing, you know, 215. But you know, they have to have a different strategy. These guys are super strong, and you know what I mean, in a different weight class and strong. And um, you just have to, you know, be a little bit more mindful of how you fight those guys. But um, you know, so I looked at it more like, okay, this is going to be a more entertaining fight probably. With you know, Sean Thornton, we had some really good ones, and you know, a few other guys. Shelly, I mean, you know, like these guys are like a little bigger, but they're not like they're not so heavy where like you know they're they're fifty pounds heavier type stuff. You know, what I mean, that's like that's significant. You're fighting dudes. Well, I'm sure you don't hear. You know, you get plenty of questions on the fighting, but let me ask you this: How well do you remember your first goal? <laughs> oh man, like it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I remember the whole play. Um, like, like. Like detail by detail, the the, the the irony behind it is I, I didn't even celebrate or wasn't really able to celebrate because it was like a four one hockey game with I don't even know four minutes to go and it was a five one I think made it like five to two and it was kind of just like all right line back up at center ice and let's get going. I actually tried to fight Steve Beijing on the next face off. <laughs> Mind everybody what it was actually all about. <laughs> you want you want to play by play of it? Yeah. All right, so I let him going back in the zone, um, get a breakout pass in the middle of the ice, give it to RJ Amberger, who's kind of like on the right side of the blue line, gives it back to me, you know, around the red line, to the neutral zone with speed, and 
the defenseman, I don't know, just like for whatever reason, didn't react quick enough. So I, I cruised in there and and just and then just ripped the shelf. I mean, it was like uh, it was it was just like I felt like I was actually a good player on that play. I did go and look it up. It looked pretty sweet. Uh, do you remember who the goalie was? Yeah, yeah, it was Kerry Price. Woo! Best, best goalie in the world. Uh, <laughs> I, say, I know it was Montreal. I wasn't sure who the goalie was, but that's fantastic. Right? Wow. <laughs> best goalie in the world. Ain't okay. nobody taking that away from you. No, that's right. <laughs> so. So, after your couple of seasons with the with the Flyers and doing what you do best, when did you start to feel the effects of everything that you were doing? I believe I read that you got a lot of anxiety. And when did this start to affect you? And, you know, when did you start to look into taking care of yourself and eventually what you're doing now? Um, I think it was probably my second year with the, with the Flyers um, that I really started kind of I guess I started feeling the wear and tear uh, of the fighting. Um, I think there was also like it was just like emotionally draining. You know, and the, when I say anxiety, like I'm actually really don't worry about a whole lot. But I think it was the chronic state of anxiety, like more more so brought on by just the fighting. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't any other. You know, I could identify the anxiety created because it was a chronic state, right? It was like always worrying about the next fight. Always looking over my shoulders, um, you know. Uh, if I fought once, am I fighting again? You know what I mean? It's like that. That evening's done, and then, and then, and then, like, you know, worrying about the next night, the, the weekend, or whatever. So, um, yeah, so that was self-induced. I, I know that, but it was very real, and it's emotionally taxing, right? It, it drains on you. It, um, it, it sucks. It sucks the life force out of you. So. Between that and I mean, I was I was getting a bunch of surgeries. I you know my finger done, my wrist done, my knees, um, and eye surgery. Like there was all kinds of stuff. Like it was just like, at what point do you you be realistic with you know, your situation? The role was dying. You know, uh, Laviolette took over. I only think I played 17 games or so that last year. Or like I was just kind of like, okay, like is this it? Am I gonna go back down to the minors now and fight everyone and their brother? So I was kind of like real with my situation and saying listen I, I'm, I'm i'm banged up here i could still play hockey but can i go down and fight and you know, i'm a gamer i might go down there and turn down fights and just be like that old veteran guy that i see you know see you, know, you go back down and and just doesn't fight and just doesn't have a role really so i all that said i was just i just saw you know <laughs> saw it as kind of a, an exit strategy and the only reason i actually got out of playing um, was because Paul Holman called me up up in the offseason and said there's a, there's a coaching job with the Phantoms. Shell Samuelson's house burnt down. I got struck by lightning. Um, do you want it? Holy shit. And I know you got another year on your contract. Uh, we'll, we'll work that into a coaching deal. So when I got that phone call, I was like, all these things being said, I was like, this is an easy one for me. You know what I mean? I'm 28 years old. Like, who ever thought I would be retiring from professional hockey with another year on my contract? But it was like, just like, for me, it was like such an exit strategy. I just needed to do it. I needed to like, I you know, say, save myself. It was like for me to like get out out of that lifestyle. Um, you know, you know, just get get away from the party, get away from, you know, the the emotional roller coaster of fighting, and and just the, and just kind of find myself. And I think uh, it was the best 
decision in my life, you know. I did, I, did I miss playing hockey and that whole thing? Absolutely. The closest thing to it is coaching, you know, and then I was able to get my business stuff and find my true passion, my true purpose in the meantime. So, um, you know, it was one of those things, you know, sometimes you got to make hard decisions in life, you know what I mean, and listen to, you know, listen to your, your heart and just, you know, follow it. And, and, you know, for me, it's been a blessing and, Otherwise, I could have been chasing one-year contracts in the minor leagues and just playing to you know to earn a paycheck instead of discovering what I love to do and uh, and what I'm here really here for. So it's still it's, you know, amazing how it's happened. That's great. Sounds like things really happen for a reason with that one. Um, how how much did you like assistant coaching? You really thought it was for you? You, uh, you know what? I, I I never really thought it was going to be forever. Um, I think it served its purpose. I did really enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Like it was, you know, I liked working with the young players and 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 doing that whole thing. But as far as like what I realized, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for personal growth. Like I just felt like, um, okay, this is kind of like what you can do in this position, and that's pretty much it, you know. And, and what I loved about it was like the relationships you build and like. And you know the, the, how you can connect with players, but um, I guess what I identify with is I'm, I'm only helping like a 23 man roster, and I also started you know started realizing that there's a lot of shallowness in sports, and just like hearing some of these conversations on the other side of the fence, like how shallow uh, you know comments some of these things you know are about players and talking about them as if they're like not human. You know that they're like a robotic hockey player, and they, like like they never played the game. And I just lost a lot of respect for for it, I guess, because it was just like um, you know I just seen it just a a different side where you know there's there's a lot of politics still on on on, on you know the coaching side of things. You know, again, as assistant, it's like you can throw your opinion around, but it's like you know it doesn't really carry a whole lot of weight. <laughs> you know, so as far as personal growth, it was. Uh, um, there, there, there was definitely a ceiling, and I just wanted to, um, you know, use that to, to, to learn and to, to, to you know, to, to be, still be in the game. But it, it certainly spoke to me to, you know, to, to, to showing me that I don't want to and I'm not going to um, be in that position long term. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think I read a few things on what you're talking about with politics, and I would love to pick your brain on that one day. But for now, I think the work you're doing now is much more important, especially in the field with players and injuries. Uh, so with that, I'm going to turn you over to our expert on that matter. Uh, Jimmy, you there? Yeah, I'm here, man. So, um, Riley, you're in, you have uh, Body Check Wellness. It's a hemp and CBD company. Um, I had a little bit of experience with hemp and CBD. I was... Uh, Diagnosed with Crohn's a couple years ago, I was put on a, a biologic uh, medicine uh, for a couple months. It wasn't working for me, um, so I discovered. You know, I did my own research, things like that, and I discovered hemp and CBD. Um, I do take a hemp and CBD product every night before bed. Um, I also went and got my medical marijuana card, which you know I only use the high CBD strains. Um, I've been in remission since October of last year. Um, so I'm doing pretty well with the CBD hemp and uh, and uh, the high CBD awesome, frame man. stuff. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, it's Happy amazing what that stuff can do, man. So when I when I saw that you had this company, I was really really intrigued. So I have some questions for you here. Um, what motivated you to get into the hemp and CBD uh, company or, or the business? 
uh, like Body Check Wellness, and, and how'd you guys come up with that name? Um, well, so I, when I retired in 2010, I, that's when I kind of really started getting into hemp. Uh, I got into it more from a nutritional standpoint, from um, you know consuming the seeds as a protein source and an omega-3 fatty acid source. I started reading more. I, I bought a book called Hem for Health, and it kind of broke down not just the medicinal, you know, side of the you know cannabis plant, but like the industrial applications. And uh, so I became extremely passionate about. It. I started the Hemp Peels Foundation, or just kind of education and advocacy um, around hemp. So when this whole CBD movement started happening in you know 2012, 13, and then the 2014 Farm Bill came around, that you know that kind of opened the doors for people to cultivate. Um, hemp first CBD uh, under you know under legal like state run uh, agricultural programs. Um, it was it was like that's when I started kind of like uh, you know exploring how I was going to enter the space. You know what I mean? And I knew I was going to be thrown like a not from an absolute athlete um, you know brand perspective, but like you know using my sports platform to to kind of create the brand. So. You know, the body check wellness is actually is actually my my vision. I, I had the, uh, the the logo and name and everything created in 2014. To tell you the honest truth, it was originally it was originally created for a dispensary um, idea. You know, pre pre you know 2017 when Pennsylvania got their you know got their medical program and everything. So I actually applied for a license and didn't get one. So when I, when that didn't happen. Um, you know, the CBD was, and the hemp was always on, on, on the radar, but then I was just like, all of a sudden it went, all the focus went to the hemp and CBD. And then that's what body check was just kind of like inserted as the name, um, you know, as, as a play on words, obviously, you know, mindful of your body and, um, but also, you know, from part of the storyline of me being a banger and, you know, for the people that know me or my story, you know, they can make some sense of it, but, uh. You know, I think it, the, the brand itself is is, is marketable to, to all people because it's, you know, it's kind of a play on words. It's, you know, you know, mindful of your body. So that's where that comes from. Hell yeah, man. That's pretty cool. So I know for myself, I was never a big, uh, big reefer smoker. I mean, I, I smoked a little bit growing up, uh, but uh, I've, I've smoked a lot more recently. It's more so for the CBD benefits than for the THC benefits. Um, but for yourself, you know, have you ever smoked? And, and if so, did you? When did you recognize the health benefits of uh, of not only marijuana but but hemp and CBD? Yeah, sure. Are you smoking a little lemon G or what? <laughs> a little devil's uh, lettuce, huh? <laughs> uh, no, so I mean, I've been, I, I mean, I've been honestly a cannabis user since I was fifteen years old, and uh, um, I didn't. Uh, obviously, in very recreational uh, settings, when I first started, didn't understand it. It was always, you know, around the party and, and drinking. So I think, you know, the, the, the first time, um, I actually had, I had over-consumed and I had a, well, it was a crazy experience, but it was it almost turned me off um, to the point where I, th- I thought I was never going to use cannabis again. Because what it what it had done to me that night. But, uh, you know, six months later, I was, I was introduced to it in a, in a, in a in a more subtle setting where I felt like I could connect with it more, um, where it just made me, it made me feel good. I, I couldn't put a finger on what it was doing. I didn't really have a ton of anxiety back then, but you know, if, if relaxing you and making you feel good is a, is, is a, is a bad side effects to a prohibitionist. Well, so be it, but you know, it just made me feel good. So I, 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 I kept smoking, you know, and I, and you know, 
without without alcohol and, and appreciated it. And, you know, there's it was a there was a thing I couldn't really identify what it was therapeutic. But I think when I really started to identify that how it was helping me when I was, when I turned pro and started fighting was again going back to the anxiety. It was just like you know um, trying to go to sleep the night before a game knowing you're gonna fight this big ass dude. Um, how you know smoking would just be like okay you know all good let's go to sleep you know good good night's sleep wake up feeling good you know what i mean where it's like you're not sitting around pondering wondering how it's going to happen and you know playing you know playing tricks on your mind so i think that's what i understood and identified with the therapeutic values um, there and obviously the sleep sleep was always great um but then when i you know when i turned when i when i you know retired and uh, turned more into a holistic approach and started reading about cannabis um I started to make sense of a lot of things that I was feeling because, like the the, the the literature and the, some of the research I was reading, kind of was like validating my belief system. And then I started learning about like CBD and the brain and like the neuroprotective properties and the antioxidant properties. So it just like um, it, it it all made sense. You know what I mean? It all made sense that I was actually I was actually doing my, my my myself and my brain a service while I was consuming cannabinoids, even though it was more THC. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't being very mindful of it. You, you know, I, but it wasn't until I, you know, retired is when I started getting the mindful cannabis use. So now it's like, like kind of what you're talking about. I actually, I use a high CBD variety, you know, lemon G. It's, uh, you know, 12% THC, 10% CBD, um, more balance, more balance in the cannabis plant. You know, the underground market's driven the THC content so high where it induces psychosis. Almost what I, what I had happened to me in my, my first experience um, was, uh, was over consuming and, uh, and inducing, inducing psychosis because it just over consumed THC. So, um, I see that a lot, especially with edibles now, you know, I mean, people just over consume because the, the cannabis is in balance. There's not many strains in the, uh, in, in these dispensaries that are higher CBD. There's only a few, there's only a few. And a lot of people are so trained to love CBD or THC that they, they go into these places and they just, they ask what the highest THC content that is and they give me that. Uh, you know what I mean? So there's 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 a lot of disrespecting or, or or not not knowing too. You know what I mean? It's like the blind leading the blind. A lot of these the people these bud tenders are, all, are are selling whatever they have in in stock. You know what I mean? They don't really know um, what a lot of these patients really do need. And I think most people are underdosed on CBD. You know, all, me, me, medical patients and uh, and or. Um, the common man, you know what I mean? We need cannabinoids. Our body actually produces them. We have a system for these, for, you know, for receptors for these, these cannabinoids. So, um, to me, um, everyone should be consuming these, um, to, in, in, in some fashion, whatever balance you can, whatever balance you can take on and be productive and, and feel good. The whole idea is to, to not lose productivity and, and to, and to remove inflammation and feel good and sleep and recover. So, Exactly. Um, it's a little bit different a combination for everybody. I can consume THC all day um, and feel great and full of energies because I'm not over-consuming it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I understand what my threshold is. Other people can't have any THC because they feel like they're, you know, they, they, they over-consume and, you know, they, they get lazy or they get anxious or whatever it causes. Um, but it's finding your dose. You know, now with these CBD products derived from hemp, and then even if you want to go on the medical cannabis side, like, you know, like 1% or 2% THC, which is like insignificant and small, it's, it, it, you know, it doesn't get you that intoxicating effect. Like, like that's responsible cannabis use. 
and that's what we need to be teaching. And, and, and unfortunately, there's, there's so much to be taught yet still in this because a lot of this is just coming from the underground into the legal market. And, um, you know, the CBD ratio to THC is so off because of prohibition. You know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to learn yet. No, I 100% agree. I mean, I, I could talk to you all day about this because uh, when I went and actually was signing up for my, my medical marijuana card, uh, it kind of felt like they were trying to sell me on getting high. And I'm like, you know, I'm not here to get high. I'm here to try to heal and, and get better. Like I have a, I don't even like to say because it, like I have a chronic illness. So I'm here to try to get better, not get high. So they're trying to sell me on all these high THC strains. And I'm like, where's all the CBD stuff that I was reading about? You know what I mean? So I think right. to your point, even even the dispensaries or, or the, the people who, you know, sign you up for the license, they have a little bit more they should be learning. And, you know, uh, I, I guess I agree with you. I mean, especially from my experience, I mean, it, it, it pretty much gave me my life back. The last couple of years were a little bit, you know, rocky. But, you know, thanks to the CB, high CBD strain marijuana and, and the hemp uh, oil, you know, I, I can, you know, I can function again. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but enough about me. I have a couple more questions before uh, we let you go. Um, are, are athletes today, are they allowed to use the CBD products or is that considered uh, against the rule? Can you repeat that question? You cut out a little bit there. Yeah, sorry. Are, are athletes today, are they allowed to use CBD products? Uh, they're allowed, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no ban on CBD products. Um, THC, they test for. I mean, it's um, high, 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 high amounts they're looking for, so no one ever tests positive uh, for that. But as far as a CBD ban, there's there's nothing of the sort. Uh, you can't test for it. Um, so okay, it's, it's, it's fair game, yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever gone to the NHL and talked to them about how, you know, your products – can can help the players so i have um the nhl alumni association i've spoken to a few times um so now it's where it gets political so um you know they say oh yeah good for you but they recently signed a deal with uh, canopy growth which is the largest cannabis company on, on the planet to study cbd in the brain believe it or not in, wow. in former players 100 different players going through the study so now it's just like anything but their science, anything but what they say is meaningless. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like good for you, but we're in bed with this company and wow. that's all that matters. So, um, you know, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, but you know how it is. You know, it's like if they're going to invest $20 million to study the brain and all this stuff, like um, there's there's no way the NHL, the NHL Alumni Association is going to sway away from that. So I went in there more so as an educator just to just introduce them to the cannabinoids like a couple years ago, you know, um, you know, I showed them studies. I showed them what the, the, the Canadian football league uh, alumni association was doing with one of the licensed producers in Canada. So I'm just trying to like, I was just trying to like speed up the process of what was probably inevitable. Um, so we, we know we've, yeah. we've seen a lot of progress, but there's a lot of, a lot of work to be done for sure. That's awesome, man. Uh, so I, I have one more question before we start to wrap up here. I mean, you know, there's still a lot of stigma. You know, I think a lot of people are still kind of afraid when they hear, you know, uh, marijuana or hemp CBD and THC. They, everybody thinks they're going to get high off it or get addicted or whatever. Um, 
You know, if you could, maybe some of these people are listening, and if you could tell them in what ways can your products uh, help not just pro athletes, but people who suffer from, you know, chronic disease or, or whatever it is, just people in general, how can they help them? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, there's, 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 there's two parts to this. And I think the first one is looking at cannabis as a multivitamin or daily essential. When I say cannabis, I mean, like hemp-derived CBD. I mean, hemp is cannabis. It's a, it's, it's a variety of cannabis. So using it, in a sense, much like you would take, um, you know, any sort of fish oil or, you know, vitamin or anything of that nature. So, you know, feeding the body, looking at it as a, as a nutritional um, superfood for your body, right? You know, there's, there's no intoxicating effect. We're removing inflammation. So whether you're talking about recovery in sports or just you know for the common man versus disease state stuff, um, it's, it's an abundance of inflammation. So we're constantly trying to remove inflammation. So from that standpoint, um, absolutely, um, hemp-derived CBD products are great. And then if you want to get into the medical cannabis program, if you need a little more THC, because some, some disease states... You know, do require a little more THC, um, um, but also some people like a little bit of THC. So um, then you have to go into the medical cannabis program or the rec program. I think, I think for the people that want to hate on it and demonize it, it's clearly they're ignorant to understanding it. And when you look around the things that are legal, and they're probably addicted to some of these things that are legal, which would be alcohol, tobacco. Um, you want you want to throw refined sugar, refined high fructose corn syrup in there, which to me is a de- definition of a Schedule One drug, and most people are addicted to it, and we're okay with that because it's legal, um, and, and it create, but 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 it, it, it causes so many different um, disease states, diabetes. You know, you probably throw some cancers in there because cancers fuel the sugar. Um, uh, you know, and, and all kinds of other stuff. It probably disturbs in your body your hormone, hormone disruptors because not even natural sugars is hot. You know, it's genetically modified corn. Um, my point being is that um, you know, you look at an ancient herb like cannabis. If people want to self-medicate with an ancient herb that has has zero deaths on its shoulders and that it's not addictive, it might be habitual. Um, you know, and habit forming. But um, you know, wellness is an abundance. And, uh, and, a, and a series of daily behaviors that promote, you know, healthy bodies and healthy minds. And cannabis is that. Um, does it have to be respected? Yes, absolutely. Just like anything else. I mean, alcohol needs to be respected. It's, it's hard to because it's a very destructive substance. And you can get in a lot of trouble quickly. Um, food, yeah, that needs to be respected too. I don't see too many people becoming obese on eating vegetables and whole foods. <laughs> it's, it's, they're, they're abusing the sugar. They're yep. abusing, you know, the substance that's addictive. Um, tobacco, you know, and get into all these different things. And it's like, if you want to compare them to cannabis, well, guess what? Cannabis is the safest one of them all. And, and again, if it's, if it's taught mindfully and with a lot of awareness, it's, it's a very, very useful tool to the point where, I mean, you, you don't, you don't really need anything else. Like, you know, it's like you can't, you take care of everything with one plant. And that's how I've been since I retired. My last two surgeries, I just used cannabis for pain. I wow, haven't, that's I haven't amazing. touched a pharmaceutical since I retired. That's amazing. And it's all been plant-based. And, I'm, and, and cannabis isn't the only plant that has healing properties. I think it's a bridge to the natural world. I mean, when you look at turmeric root and ginger root and garlic and, and, and lavender and, you know, helichrysum and all these different uh, plants that have all kinds of healing properties. 
we just failed to recognize that the natural world is the most powerful healing mechanism we have. We've, we've gone so far the other way, we were brainwashed mm-hmm. into thinking that it has to be created in a lab mm-hmm. and it has to be man-made. Well, Mother Nature, you're not going to replicate Mother Nature. She does it best. And she always has. And she always will. So, you know, we've gone through this, you know, this, uh, you know, we call it a cultural hypnosis of like industrial revolutions created this, these plastic brains, like almost like we're, we, we, we're like, we're, we're toxic. We're conditioned. Our environment's toxic. You know, plastics everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our food, our, our water, our medicines, everything's poisoned. Dude, you're getting get me amped up over here, man. And we're, going, and we're getting back to the hemp plant and cannabis plant to, to heal mm-hmm. and, to, and to make change and to heal the environment and local economics. So it's, it's amazing to see when you're conscious of it. And most people don't even recognize they're in, you know, in the shitstorm. So, um, yeah, you're a hundred percent right, man. I like that you mentioned uh, the words mindfulness, and you know, a lot of us. I could talk to you about this stuff forever, Riley. So, I mean, it's pretty cool to be able to talk to you here now. Um, but being mindfulness, so many people go through life just unconscious, and you know, every every plant that you just mentioned, you know, day and night, I was trying to read how can I get better. How, I, everything that you mentioned. I've I've just I've been taking for the past couple of years, and I am where I am now because because of plants. I mean it's it's crazy to say because a couple of years ago I'm like oh f that you know vegan this or you know pothead that but I did it and you know I think guys like us were kind of living proof and and now it's kind of like you know you can put the word out and um I know we were talking a lot about your playing career and you know while Jack and Kyle were asking you questions I, I was coming up with words that would describe. Uh, somebody like you and and the words that I found were you know selfless you know you're a leader uh, you put yourself you sacrifice yourself for others and uh, and I think that you're doing you're still doing all those things now with the with the cannabis and uh, you know the hemp CBD um, you went through experiences and you're using your experiences not only to help yourself but now you're you're trying to help other people and and you know as somebody who's went through that and I feel that I'm kind of doing the same thing you know I 100% respect what you're doing Riley um, so before we wrap up, let me just ask you, where can everybody buy your products? Yeah, so we're in a few brick and mortars across the state and in some other states, but Body Check Wellness, B O D Y C H E K Wellness.com. So uh, Body Check Wellness, and uh, here we have yeah tinctures, capsules, uh, topicals. Trying to be progressive with our formulations, and uh, one of our capsules is infused with uh, six different mushrooms. So for anybody that's into, you know, uh, brain health and immunity and, and, and the fungi kingdom, uh, you know, <laughs> some of these mushrooms have very um, powerful he- healing compounds as well. So lion's mane, chaga, reishi, garakan, turkey tail, um, and cordyceps. So for anybody familiar, so just uh, you know, wellness is more than just one plant. You know, and cannabis and hemp is a is a very valuable tool, but it's one of many, you know. Yeah, and I think sure. uh, the natural world is, is given us uh, an abundance of tools, and we, you know, we need to, you know, discover them and, and lean on them, you know, and, and together integrate them. And I think uh, when you start doing that and thinking along those lines, it's amazing how your body responds because your body is just craving nutrition. It's creating plant matter. It's creating, it's craving uh you know, uh, the, the same things we're made out of. So, you know, we when we dehydrate the body, we feed the body garbage. Uh, we're, we're dying. We're, de- we're decaying. So we're trying to nourish our bodies and 
again, plants, uh, specifically ones that aren't uh, sprayed with uh, Roundup and pesticides <laughs> and herbicides. And, uh, you know, we're trying, to, we're, try, we're trying to stay clean. We're trying to stay healthy. And um, I think the cannabis plant has the ability to, to, again, connect people back to the natural world. You already seen movement in the mushroom world uh, with psilocybin. You know, uh, you know, when Denver decriminalizes and Oakland decriminalizes, you talk about powerful mushrooms. I mean, uh, they're not talked about much in mainstream right now, but you know, the, the the incredible healing properties of psilocybin for the brain, PTSD, cluster headaches, depression. Um, that's the next big thing. The psychedelic revolution, cannabis and hemp have, have sped up here in the last you know four or five years. Where the, for the previous twenty years, there was absolutely zero movement. Um, so amazing yeah it really is amazing the progress i feel like you know even more now the progress is being made quicker and quicker i know it seems like there's still some hiccups but you know stuff that was not acceptable just a couple couple years ago i mean you know marijuana and now now mushrooms in colorado i, I think we're going to start to see things pop up you know a little bit more uh to where they're not so much uh i don't know what's the word i'm looking for here i mean they're kind of regular you know like Seeing somebody smoke weed is not out of the ordinary, or, or you know what I mean. It's not looked yeah. like it like it used to be, you know. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, if is there anything that you want to plug before we uh, we wrap up tonight? No, I think just body check wellness. Also, have another nonprofit called Athletes for Care, athletesforcare.org, where we, you know, really um, are a resource for alternative medicines and alternative therapies for. You know, using the sports platform again to help not just their, our fellow brethren in sport, but you know, to engage in research, research initiatives to help the you know to help the general the general population because you know pain is pain doesn't matter who you are, yeah, anxiety anxiety PTSD concussions are all the same you know they don't discriminate so um, anything we can do through the sports world normalize cannabis and cannabinoids uh, you know again engage in, in research initiatives it's all it's all for the better good of, of the people so. That's just the one I wanted to plug, and yeah, bodycheckwellness.com, so I appreciate it. That's awesome, man. I can feel I can feel your passion through the phone over here, dude. It's awesome. So I want to say thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you for taking the time. We truly, truly appreciate it. Um, hopefully people who, who were listening, you know, hopefully they enjoyed listening to your experiences, and, and maybe they also learned something at the same time, which is pretty amazing. Um, so for Jack and Kyle, I'm Angry Jim, and thanks for listening, everybody. Riley, hopefully we talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.